All right, time to invite the kids to come on up front over here and find a spot to sit. Come on up. All right, come on over. Find a spot to sit. All right, good to see everyone this morning. Now, as you know, we've started preaching a series on Genesis, right? And who remembers what the word Genesis means? What does it mean? Beginning. Good. Beginning. And where is the book of Genesis found? Old Testament. That's right. Where in the Old Testament? At the beginning. It's the first book of the Bible, right? The very first, way at the beginning. And who remembers how it starts? What are the first words, the first verse? Yeah, in the beginning, right? Good job. You guys are learning and doing really well. So I want to read a few verses for you here, and you can listen. I'm going to start right at the beginning, okay? It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. That was pretty cool, wasn't it? We we might not have been able to do that at the old building, but at the new building, we could do that stuff. Nice going. All right. Now, that was not quite as dramatic as it probably it was probably even more dramatic when it really happened, right? Now, can you imagine being there? way back when that actually happened and seeing that take place, that would be incredible, wouldn't it? Complete darkness, and all of a sudden God says, let there be light, and there's light. That is amazing. Now, where do you think that light came from? From God, right? Because God said it. God said, let there be light, and light came to be, right? Just like that. And so we know that God's Word is powerful, right? And he can make something come about from nothing just by saying it. So God just said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Just like that. God's word is powerful. You know what? That's true of everything that God created. God continued creating by just speaking his word, right? He said, let there be water. And there was water. He said, let there be land. And there was land. Let there be plants, and there were plants. Let there be a sun and a moon and lots of stars. And there was a sun and moon and stars. Let there be animals, and there were animals of all kinds. So God's Word is very powerful. Not only that, but God's creation is very unique. God creates special and unique, right? So He created many, many things, and each one was different from the other things that He created right? We see that even with light, because if we continue in the next verse in Genesis, after there was light, it says, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So is light the same thing as darkness? Light and darkness, they're different, aren't they? They're very different. They're opposite. They're very different and separate. God separated them. They're different from one another. And so God filled his creation with unique, special things, things that are very different from other things that he created. And he did that 
first, because he's just a creative God and he can do that. But more importantly than that, God did that because everything God created has a special place and a special purpose, right? Everything God created has a special place and a special purpose. Let's think about the, an example, like the sun, right? What would happen if God had put the sun just a little bit closer to the earth? you know what would have happened? Yeah, the earth itself would have burned up. The whole earth would have burned up, right? And that would have been a big mistake, right? But you know what? God doesn't make mistakes, does he? No, God doesn't make mistakes. So everything God created, everything God created was good. Everything God created had a place. And everything God created had a purpose. And all of this, all of God's creation brings God glory. He made all good things. That's right. And so we can praise him for all the good things that he has made. So thank you for coming up. You can go back and have a seat. We are in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 25. Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 25. And it's happily on page 1 of your Bible. Last week... And verses 1 and 2, we saw that everything is about God. In the beginning, God. It's not about us. It's about God. And the earth, we, when we left it off, was without form and void, darkness over the face of the deep waters. The earth was just water, uh, inhospitable for humans, uninhabitable for you and I. And yet God's spirit, it says, was moving. The word hovering is more moving. He was active. He was about to do something spectacular. So that last bit of verse 2 is pregnant with powerful activity that is about to be unleashed. And let's read what God does. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetations, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let, there, let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. 
And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God said, saw that it was good. Let's pray. God, you are amazing. Your wisdom is unsearchable. Your word is eternally powerful. And now we ask that you would turn in uh, grace towards us and give us understanding of your word that we might observe it and keep with all of our hearts. Teach us to walk in the paths of your commandments and incline our hearts to your testimony. We ask that you do this now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, of course, we have the overview of the six days of creation. The next three Sundays I plan on covering mankind being created as God's image, and then male and female, and then the mandate that God has given us that's coming up. So this week we're going to do the non-human creation, if I could put it like that. I believe, as I've hinted at and said previous weeks, that this is a, a rather straightforward narrative account of the creation of the world that God did create in six 24-hour days. More about that in a moment. Um... So when I read Genesis, I read it as six 24-hour days where God created everything that, that we know. The term day in Hebrew, as in English, can mean different things. Right? My older son, Peter, used to pick strawberries. And in my son Peter's strawberry-picking day, during the day, he picked more berries per day than everybody else. In that one sentence, the term day is used in three different ways, and it's, the meaning for each is obvious. In the first meaning, in Peter's day, that means in his time, in his life. The second day, during the day, means when the sun is out. And the third meaning of the word day, picked more berries per day, means a 24-hour period. And it's, the context gives you all the clues in order to understand it, right? None of you struggled to understand what I was saying, even though I used the term day, the same word, in three different senses in one sentence. Pretty simple. So the same is true for the term day in the Bible. Uh, And context is king. It makes it rather plain in Scripture when the term day means a period of 24 hours. How do we know this? Well, of all the times when the term day is used in the Bible... The overwhelming majority mean a 24-hour period. And this is especially so in three instances. When the term day in Hebrew 
is used with a number. First, second. It always means a 24-hour period. So you see that in Genesis 1 and the first day and the second day. So whenever the term day in Hebrew is used with a number, it always, 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 without exception, means 24-hour period. Anytime the term day, so number two, anytime the term day is used in conjunction with uh, a descriptor like morning or evening, it always means a 24-hour period. And so throughout the text, you read, let's say, in verse 5, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. So there we have two different ways when context helps us to understand that the term means a 24-hour period. All right? So when you read this, I think the plain, straightforward meaning that is the context helps you understand is that the term day in Genesis 1 means just a a regular 24-hour period as you and I uh, experience it. So, couple of things there. As I said two sermons ago, if you believe that, that doesn't save you. Okay? Believing a six-day creation of 24-hour periods doesn't save you, and disbelieving it doesn't damn you. Okay, so let's get that straight right away. We're not making belief in a literal six-day, 24-hour-day creation a measure of whether or not you're saved. It could be the measure or not whether this world thinks you're stupid, but that's another matter altogether. Second, there is a lot of doubt here. And so there's a need for patience and teaching. I... uh, my background is science. I didn't start out planning to become a pastor. I loved science. It was my favorite subject all through school. Mr. Flint in middle school was a nutcase, and I loved it. I had Mr. Bradley in high school, who my science teacher just had a passion for it. He was a nerd of all nerds, but he loved it, and he taught us well. And then in college, our geology teacher, Mr. Stelting, do you remember? Did you have him, Jeff? Mandy did, I think. That guy was, he was different. Anyways, I loved science. <clears throat> and throughout all of that, I was never convinced of evolution. I, ne- I was never convinced um, simply because I, I didn't see the evidence for it. Lack of any fossil record backing up the theory. Lack of any biological mechanism that could produce a new species from an existing one. Biblically, the Bible... There's no problem holding that a species changes within its own kind. It adapts to whatever environment it finds itself in. But biblically, there can be no compatibility between uh, the kind of the macroevolution where one species becomes another. And I, so I, I, never, I, never, I never did that. But um, I think I grew up believing that the, that the world was made in six 24-hour days. And then I got to seminary. And was introduced to other theological understandings of it. And became convinced for a time that the earth was billions of years old. And that Genesis 1 wasn't meant to be literal. But it was more poetic. It was a 
a way of writing that didn't describe exactly what took place, but just described that God created all things in order to accommodate our human reasoning. And so I became convinced that, uh, as I said, the earth is very old and uh, that it wasn't six 24-hour days, but rather just a poetical way of describing that God created. Exactly. And then as I said, after seminary, uh, in the pulpit for the first time, after a few years, uh, a godly woman began to make fun of me. And she did it very well. Uh, For those of you who think I hate women, I don't. I actually listen to them, just like men when they're right. And after a few years of being gently poked fun of by this gal, and I began to research it uh, more uh, deeply. Again, never convinced of evolution, but convinced Genesis 1 wasn't saying what I think it plainly says. Uh, and so through that, uh, after lots of say, I became convinced that the text is teaching a six-day, 24-hour day creation, at, and that our, our earth isn't old, it's young, 6,000 years or so, based on the um, genealogies mainly. I wanted to say all that, uh, not drawing attention to myself, but just to say, in the church, this, along with a few other things, uh, has a lot of confusion with it. And it, I don't think that confusion is due to the text being confusing. I think that it's confusion because of uh, lack of straightforward teaching on it and a lot of poor imaginative teaching on it. When you, if you were to, if you could somehow come to this text for the first time, it would be plain to you that the word day here means 24 hours. It's, it's very plain. Um, and I had egg-headed ivory tower professors who had to show me how it isn't plain. Right. And so I, I want to I be patient here in teaching this, and yet I want to urge you to take the Bible as it stands. Uh, Because the issue here, again, isn't whether or not you're going to be saved by believing uh, six 24-hour-day creation. It's whether or not you believe God and his word. It's an issue of authority. And you and I have grown up in a culture, in an educational culture especially, that has never taught you about our world from a biblical view of it. You've only been taught a secular, atheistic view of it. That, that was my education from the beginning all the way to the end, except in church. And I think that is, that we should be ashamed of that. We should be ashamed of not giving God glory in educating our children that God is the creator of all things by his speaking as he has revealed it. We need to give God glory 
He has made it. He made it as he has made it. And our job is to simply submit to it. All right. So that over, let's get into it. I want to do this, these verses in kind of two parts. First, I want to start at a bit, a higher level, not like more intelligent level, but just overview level. And because uh, the structure in these verses is incredible. This is one of the most beautiful parts of Scripture. It is astounding how this is written. It is really spectacular, uh, spectacular uh, writing. And second, I just want to get into the days themselves and we'll do that rather quickly and, and try to draw out some application uh, and apply it to our consciousness, apply it to our lives. So let's start with structure. In chapter, in verse 2, if you, if you have your Bible, I want you to have your Bibles open. Have your Bibles open, okay? Everybody can find this. We're not in Habakkuk. We're in Genesis. Right? First page, so open it. In, in verse 2, we read that the earth was without form and void. And the rest of the chapter then is providing form and filling. This is the structure to the entire creation account. Je- verse 2, no form. And then days 1 through 3 are the form. He- he's structuring the earth. And, it- and it- verse 2, it's void, it's empty. And, and days 4 to 6 are filling the form. That- that's how this whole chapter is put together. It's answering the problem of verse 2. No form. Form in days 1 to 3. Nothing there. Filling it up in days 4 to 6. Okay? You with me so far? So day 1, the form separating light darkness. Day 4, sun and moon and stars. Right? Day day 2, atmosphere and waters below. So we have the sky above, the waters below. Day five, filling the sky with birds and the waters with fish, and so on. This is written beautifully, wonderfully. It's as if there's a God inspiring it. A quick note on light. You'll notice in day one, let there be light, and yet the sun and moon and stars aren't created till day four, and this has been a stumbling block for some. I don't, it really shouldn't be for us as Christians because we know that God himself dwells in unapproachable light. God is the source of all light. And we know that at the end of time, after Christ's coming, the sun will be no more. That we'll dwell on this earth without a sun in the sky because God will light everything with the light emanating from him. We even remember Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, shone like the sun, brighter than the sun. And so I don't, this shouldn't be a problem for us if we'll think for a bit about who God is and how he does it. And I think God is teaching us something there. We are dependent on him for all things. He is the source of all things. And you can say amen there because he is. The sun does not derive its light from itself, but from God. So there's the structure, formless and void, and then God brings form and fills that form in in days one to six. And then we have these repeated phrases throughout the text. And the most prominent one is, and God said. You see it right away in verse three. And God said, verse six, and God said said, verse 9, and God said, verse 11, and God said, verse 14, and God said, right? 
eight times in the six days, and God said, punctuates the text. Constantly bringing you back to God and his all-powerful voice that create what it speaks, that it creates what it speaks. Remember when we were talking about prophecy. Prophecy isn't mere predicting events. Prophecy is speaking something into being. What God has a prophet speaks, speak, the prophet is speaking God's word, which is creating what it's saying. Same thing here. God's voice isn't like our voice. Parents understand this well. When God says things, not only are they done, but they become. <laughs> they take shape. They take form. They have texture. They have mass. They have smell. They have t- God's word is powerful. The heading over this entire chapter could be Psalm 33, 9. He spoke and it was done. He spoke and it was done. Nothing exists apart from God's word. Listen to that. Nothing exists apart from God's word. And this is where we see most clearly in the creation account, Christ. Keeping your finger in Genesis 1, flip over with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 begins with creation. So in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the fourth gospel. John chapter 1. You'll notice that it begins just like Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning. And so your mind should be going right there back to Genesis 1, right? In the beginning was the word. Going back to Genesis 1, right? And God said. In the beginning was the word. When God was speaking, that's his... It's Jesus. God doesn't speak Jesus into existence. The Son of God is God's Word. He is the second member of the Trinity. We read throughout the Bible in places like Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 that the Son is the one through whom God has spoken to us. And He is the appointed heir of all things. And it was through whom that God made the world. John 1, 3. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. The same word of God is the Son of God. He is the one in whom all things have their being. This is what I think is spectacular about the Bible. This is one of the reasons that you and I should without embarrassment believe that God's word is inspired. Here we have simple men making the connection that when God speaks in Genesis 1, there is the incarnate Son of God creating all things. And for us as believers, this same Word of God, this Son of God that created all things is the one who saves you. Your salvation is secure. Your salvation is assured Because the one who created all things is the one who created you anew. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, we read, The God who spoke into the darkness, created light, is the one who is shown in our hearts to give us the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Just as God spoke light into darkness, so God spoke you as a new being in your sin and darkness. The God who said, let there be light, is the God who said to you, let there be light. Let Christ renew you, change you, make you new. So God's word is the power, is the point that carries along all this creation narrative. God creating by his speaking out of nothing. And God creates by his word by separating. Pastor Jeff drew this out. You'll notice throughout the text that God is bringing something new out of something else. He's separating. He's making distinctions. He separates day from night. He separates the waters above and the waters below. He separates the land from the sea. He separates species of plant life, each according to kind. He separates the various lights in the heavens. He separates one day from another, years from each other, seasons from each other. He separates creatures flying and sea and land creatures according to the various kind. He separated man from all creatures and he separated male from female. God is a God of making distinctions. One thing is not another. And, of course... The greatest distinction in the creation account is between God, the creator, and all of us, the created. Genesis 1 begins with something that our world hates, making distinctions. You see that in our world? Our world constantly wants to remove any distinction, rich from poor. Minority from majority, male and female, young and old, smart and not so smart, and on and on and on. Our world wants to deny distinctions that you and I can see with our plain eyes. And these are the people, by the way, who are teaching you that evolution is true. They can't tell the difference between a male and a female, but apparently we listen to them about how, God, how this world came into being. But God made distinctions. And the greatest distinction is that he is not us and we are not him. He is holy. He is transcendent. He is far above and completely unlike everything else. We have more in common with toads than we do with the creator on high. He is great and to be feared. You'll notice too that God assigns and names and puts things in its proper place. Verse 5, God called the light day. Verse 8, God called the expanse heaven. God put things in their place and and he named them. Naming is authority. Naming is ownership. Naming is also care. He rules over his creation with profound care and concern. He rules over you, naming you in your baptism, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which shows he owns you and he will provide for you forever. We also see in this separating great diversity Incredible diversity. It starts by separating light from day, waters from waters, earth from water, and then as we get into the 
animal creation, the, the diversity skyrockets. There are, I heard this week in studying, some 400,000 species of fruit flies. <laughs> right. Only 3,500 species of mosquito. God's world is amazing in its diversity. Incredible. Each according to their kind. God made one thing, not another thing. A walleye is not an antelope. And neither can it become one. Evolution, one of the reasons to disbelieve change from one species to another is because all genetic mutations reduces diversity. It never increases. There's no mechanism. It cannot work. When you have a mutation, it's almost always lethal to the creature. It's never creative. But God made this world with great diversity. It's beautiful. It's wondrous. It's spectacular. I, I hope that you can go from here looking at this creation and being in awe of the diversity in it. <clears throat> and then uh, each is given the ability by God to reproduce. You start with plant life, being able to bear fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind. So. They can make more Honeycrisp apples. Wonderful. More raspberries and blueberries and cantaloupe and watermelon and sweet corn. And and then animals. First you begin with birds and fish with don't necessarily have internal uh, reproduction, they reproduce through eggs, and then on to land animals that have internal copulation and for the first bit raise their young and produce them live, which is incredible. But our world consistently wants to homogenize everything. In fact, I, I read this week, if you've seen any dictatorial government, they're always removing distinctions. They want everybody to dress the same. They want everybody to have the same amount of income, which means nothing because they take it all. And this is one of the reasons why the Bible speaks so directly, so hard, and so even disgusted of homosexuality. Because it's fruitless and it removes the ability to bear fruit. Now in saying that, of course, all sin is disgusting. But particularly when God has made things male and female, is it perverse for a man to lie with a man or a woman with a woman? Because it totally turns God's creative function on its head. Now there is salvation from this sin, as there is from all sins. It is just a normal sin. It's 
common to man. It has always been common to man. And so if you are engaging in homosexual behavior, if you desire as a woman a woman or a man a man, I would urge you to do what I would urge liars to do and um, disobedient children to do, which is repent and turn to Christ and receive help and nurture from the church in overcoming it. You're not excluded from here if you're a homosexual. And you are called to repentance. And there is actual repentance. You as a homosexual man can actually repent and learn to be attracted to a woman and marry a woman. But our world wants to tell you exactly the opposite. Because it hates that God spoke and created all things and he loves the diversity. And then, throughout the text, we have God speaking two grand conclusions. Hopefully you heard as I was reading, I I tried to emphasize it. We see six times in verse 7, 9, 11, 15, and 24, and 30, and it was so. Look at verse 7. God made the expanse, separated the waters under the expanse, and the waters above the expanse, and it was so. Six times we hear that. God does something, and God says, it is so. That it is so there in the Hebrew uh, doesn't just mean it happened. It means like it's solid. It's sure. He, whatever he says, it's, it's happening. And in the Hebrew, Hebrew is a little different than English. We have verbs that are past tense, verbs that are present tense, verbs that are future tense, and they're separate. In Hebrew, it doesn't work like that. And the Hebrew here is all of them. <laughs> in one, it was so. It is so. It will always be so. God is saying, what I made will always be it. it will, it's always going to do. I'm going to sustain it. So he's already here promising his creator to be the provider, to be the governor, to be the ruler, to be the caretaker. And then, of course, it's punctuated throughout the text with, and God saw that it was good. Verse 4. God saw that the light was good. Verse 10, God saw that it was good. Verse 12, and God saw that it was good. And verse 18, and God saw that it was good. And verse 21, and God saw that it was good. And at the very end, after the creation of man, in verse 31, and God saw, and it was very good. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So here the creator is also judge. He evaluates his own work, and he's pleased with it. He takes pleasure in it. So take a note there, brothers and sisters. You and I are being recreated in the image of God, and one of the things that you should do is learn to enjoy what God has made. He approves of it. This is a statement of approval, of perfection. God made everything right the first time. He didn't have to get better at it. He didn't have to get some training. His skill didn't need honing after years of practice. It was complete. He thought of everything. He neglected nothing. He's so unlike you and I, isn't he? 
you start a project at home, and how many times do you have to run back and forth to Menards because you've forgotten something? God never forgets. He didn't neglect a thing. Right? He didn't screw up and make a cut too small. It, it was good. Every time, it was good. 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 This is another reason why Christians, Christianity, biblical Christianity, biblical Christian account is not compatible with evolution. Either the secular version or the theistic evolution. Because evolution is built on creation with a lot of death. With a lot of, it was not good. But everything God made was good. And that's stated for our benefit. Why was it good? Because God is good. Because God is wise. Because God is perfect in all of his being. Because God is a father who provides for his children. Please do not neglect that what God is doing in these six days is making a home for you and I. That's what he's doing here. He's not just creating a creation for no purpose. He's creating a creation for you and I. He makes man last because he wants the, the house to be ready and it passes inspection. God is here playing the city building inspector, by the way, which I think should never have such a thing. And he's going and saying, it is good. He signs off on, it's ready now for occupancy. And man then can move in and be given dominion. God is showing he's the creator and he's our father. He, it was good means there's nothing he left out that you would need. He made you with a body and made a creation fit perfectly for it. You are the point of this creation to his glory. Isn't that wonderful? Please don't ever think God does not love you. Please do not think that God does not love this world. We should also notice that creation itself is not evil, nor is it even neutral morally. It's good. Food is good. Water is good. All the things made from creation are good. It's that we in our sin, our fallen sin, twist and use that which God is for good for evil. That's what evil is. It's taking the good gifts of God and treating them as if they're God or, or using them for the harm of others. <clears throat> you and I do this again and again and again and again. That's sin. It's taking God's good creation that he punctuates with it is good, it is good, and using it for evil. We take iPhones and ignore our children at dinner. iPhones are good. Don't use them for evil takes food, all of it which is good, and sometimes we, we say, say some food is not good. You shouldn't say that. I don't care how many chemicals are in it. Honestly, it's good. You don't have to eat it, but don't ever say it's not good. All right, so that's the creation account kind of from an overview. I said this is going to be a little longer sermon, so I got about 10 more minutes. You good? We're good? All right. I don't care if you say you're not good. I'm going to keep going on. <laughs> I just wanted you to feel like you're a part of it and whatever. <laughs> and what I want to do in the next five, ten minutes, I, I really, I don't think it'll be much longer than that. I just want to walk through the days a little closer attention and provide some application, okay? 
So going back to day one, verse three, remember here, we have the first three days out of the form, and the second three days associate with each day filling up the form. So day one, we have light and darkness. Day four, sun, moon, stars filling up that form. Day two, atmosphere, sky, and water. And then, then day four or five associated with day two, birds and fish. And, and day three then, land. And then, of course, animals, ultimately humans, filling up that form. Isn't that wonderful? He writes. So day one, separating light from darkness so God can do what is impossible. He can bring light out of not, something that is not light. And again, it should be no problem for you that uh, sun and moon and stars are not created till day four because God in his being is light. At the end of time, there will be no sun because God is sufficient light. You can see that at the end of Revelation. So let me just give you a point of application here. Why did God give us light? So that you can see what he's made. So you can enjoy with your eyes. He made light and he made eyeballs with retinas and cones and rods and nerves attached to the brain so that you can enjoy what God has made. He gives you light so that you can see. He gives you light so you can rejoice in seeing what he has made. You can be content. So enjoy it, please. Delight in what God has made. Use your eyes to see. Be awakened as you drive on the bypass, looking at the glory of God all around you. Use your eyes and the light that God has provided to enjoy what God has made. Enjoy it. Day two. Where does it begin? Uh, Verse six. Day two, if you remember, the earth was all water. There's no atmosphere. There's nothing. He separates the waters above from the waters below. He's making atmosphere. He's making air. He's making all that you know of. How many layers of atmosphere are there, Coops? Didn't you just do this as a project? Five? Did you guys all know that? I had forgotten that. Mesosphere and 10. Thermosphere and exosphere and other spheres. Did you guys know that? Hmm. Now you do. So God, God created that and, and, and space beyond it. Right? God knew, creating us, that we could not exist in water. He's fashioning a house fit for us. He's going to give us lungs that needed to breathe. And he created exactly what we needed. He separated the water from the water. And then, of course, in all the clouds, he allowed them to be saturated with rain and make it so that water could fall and sustain life on this earth after he made the land in day three. So again, application. As you look at the heavens above and clouds and all the different cirrus and nimbostratus and all that, and as rain falls, just think of God's fatherly care for this world, how he has provided perfectly for life here. Air to breathe, rain to nourish, the world perfectly suited for you and for I. It is a wondrous thing God has done for you. Let that silence your grumbling. Let that silence your complaining. Day three, 
So the earth at this time was still just water. God put limits on the water, which to show you his power. It's very hard to control water, especially oceans full. And God apparently can just use sand and some few rocks to control them. He gathers water in their place and brings out dry land. So God is bringing order to the chaos. We read, if you remember in 1 Corinthians, actually we had not got to that part yet, but God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. See that throughout the creation account. Paul wrote that reflecting on the creation account. God is not a God of disorder. He's not a God of chaos. He's always bringing order. He's not anal. Right? He, he wants a world fit for you to live in, to make a mess in. And he doesn't have plastic covering all the furniture in his world. But he's a God who orders things. And then we read that God uh, said in verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation. So the, the earth wasn't by itself fertile. He gave it the ability to produce all manner of plant life from which you and I can make pies. <laughs> right? And I don't know why you eat grass, but some of you do. Kale and whatnot. Man. You're crazy. It's good? Is it good? I don't know. I have these sharp teeth in the front. I, I tend to use those more than the grinders in the back. Uh, you guys know, all right? Go ahead and eat your kale. I, I don't think less of you. Hopefully you don't think less of me. Um, and so God is filling this earth. He's getting it ready for animal life, isn't he? He, he? he is a wise God. He orders things rightly. Now, the application here is you and I, as we'll see in the next coming weeks, we're made to work this land. We're made to get our hands dirty and have dirt under our finger. We're made to produce. We're made to make it. Now, there should be no arrogance. Some of you keep gardens and you're incredible at it. The only reason you can do that is because God made the land fruitful. But he made you to work it. He made you and I to work. He give you daylight in order to work during the day and darkness in order to rest during the night. So make use of that. But work. Make things. Men, make things. Right? Have some ambition. Do more. Make more money so you can provide for yourself more and others more. Ha take initiative. It's good. Don't let this world tell you otherwise. You are to be fruitful. That's what, that's what this world is for. And just look at all the bounty of it. Look at all the foods and medicine and aesthetic possibilities. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It's wonderful, it's incredible. So work it, brothers and sisters. Enjoy it. Men bring home the bacon and women get to make that bacon beautiful. It's wonderful. Day four. God now moves from the form to filling it. From creating light and darkness to filling it with light. Now in day four, in verse 14, it says, let them be. So these are the, the lights. Let them be for signs and for seasons, for days of years. Don't read signs there as in astrology. Which one? The Gemini and whatever. It's not what it's getting at here. Signs is just another way to say seasons. So God makes suns, moon, and stars to rule. Do you know how many galaxies there are? Neither does anybody else. They're estimated between 100 billion and 2 trillion. The Milky Way alone has an estimated 100,000 million stars. 
And there are somewhere between 100 billion and 2 trillion of those galaxies. This is what God did. He knows them each by name, and he brings them out. God rules. Your God is immense. He is beyond your ability to comprehend in power and in wisdom. He is awesome. The application here is to fear him and to trust him. Fear him because he rules somewhere between 100 billion and 2 trillion galaxies, each made up of 100,000 million stars. He knows them by name. You can't even remember your own name half the time. He marshals out. He controls them perfectly. So we should fear him, shouldn't we? should tremble before him. And then we should learn the lesson that he cares for us even more than he cares for stars. He governs all things. Will he not take care of you? Day five. He fills up the waters and the skies with fish and birds and all the fishermen and bird hunters rejoice. <laughs> I love day five. He makes animal life that can reproduce. God makes some animals fit to breathe underwater and makes some animals fit to fly through the air. <laughs> right? If you didn't know this, you would think that this is like nonsensical. Come on, really? Right? This is a wonder. It's incredible. Don't lose the wonder of a fish under the water. It's amazing. Don't lose the wonder of a, a bird soaring through the sky. It's incredible. The application is what we did before. Consider the ravens. God provides for them, and you are of much more value than the birds. He'll take care of you. Now, the care that we want in this world is given to two realms, the family and the church. We don't look to government to take care of our needs. We shouldn't. It's your family's job first. If you're a widow, your family should be taking care of you. If they won't, then it's the church. So if you have needs, please come. Please go to your family. Let's take care of each other. Day six, animals, livestock, domesticated, creeping things like reptile life and beasts. God brings them out of the earth. He can make animate things out of that which is inanimate. He can make living things out of that which is not living. Isn't that incredible? Awesome. There's somewhere around two million species of animal life. Again, there's no way that evolution can account for that. There's not enough time. There's not a mechanism, and so on. Next two or three weeks, we'll get to man, but look at this world. Look at the animal life. Striped animals like zebras. Little centipedes with all those little legs. Isn't that awesome? This world is incredible. Application, you and I, because of Adam and Eve, because of the fall, death is now a thing in this world. The fall brought enmity between animals and man. You'll notice in Genesis 2 that every animal was brought before Adam and they were good with each other. There's no fear. There's no harm done. 
We existed in this world in perfect harmony. Looks like in the beginning we were originally vegetarians, and that is no argument to be a vegetarian. The Bible has progressive revelation, and later on it says all meat is good to eat. So please don't ever make a biblical argument for vegetarianism. It isn't a good argument. It's a bad one. But this should make you think of the new creation. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 and 9, talking about the creation that's to come after Christ's return, it says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Why? For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. There is a day coming, a recreation day on Christ's returns when all things will be set back right. No more death. No more enmity. Isaiah 66, 25. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain. So what's the application in day six? Look forward to this day. The whole creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. If you're not a believer, you will not be a part of that. If you do not repent of your sin and trust in Christ, you will perish in darkness away from the presence of Lord in hell forever. And you could dwell on the recreated earth where there's no more enmity and there's no more death if only you would turn to Christ. For you as believers then, long for that day. We are taught at the end of the Bible to pray one thing. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So already at the beginning of the Bible, we see the end, right? So let's long for him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, it's been a long sermon. Pray uh, that you would make it good in the lives and hearts of your people. Pray that they go forth rejoicing in your creation. If any of them are troubled by any of this, God, I pray that they would be able to look into your word with faith and see what you've written and start there. And so, God, give us grace and patience with each other. But God, pray mostly that we would rejoice in you because you are a great creator. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.